Uh, once Jesus healed a man who had been blind from the day he was born. Uh, the event is recorded in John chapter 9. It's quite a funny story. Uh, the Pharisees are out to get Jesus and they, they question the man. They, they question his parents. They question the man again. The, the Pharisees try and get the man to dob Jesus in, to, to get him to say he's done something wrong, to say he's a, a sinner in some sense. And the man says, I love his response, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Oh, I love this bloke, he's not interested in the Pharisees' schemes and games. He just knows the truth. He met Jesus and now he sees. And as he keeps getting questioned, he, he keeps telling the Pharisees of how amazing it is, how amazing it is that he can now see. He says, nobody has ever seen, never heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. The Gospels record many times, Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. The physically blind, and also the spiritually blind. Uh, the Bible often uses the image of blindness to talk about our spiritual condition. We're blind because we can't see the truth of God. Uh, this picture of blindness is picked up in Amazing Grace. John Newton takes the words of this physically blind man and applies it to spiritually blind people. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. No one has heard of uh, the eyes of someone blind from birth being opened. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. And that's what we're going to see today really dramatically shown in the events of Acts 9. Uh, we're going through the book of Acts at the moment. Uh, today we get to see a dramatic moment, a dramatic conversion. Uh, this event is where we really get to know, where we really get to meet Saul. Uh, that's his Hebrew name. He goes by Paul when he's in Greek-speaking circles. This is where we really get to know Saul, who's a very significant person in God's plans. We've met Saul previously at the start of chapter 8. Uh, Saul was there Saul was there standing with approval as a murderous lynch mob got Stephen. I reckon this makes Saul worse than those who threw stones. The literal murders could at least say that they were caught up in the moment. But Saul was standing there coolly and rationally giving his approval to this lynching. And then, inspired by mob violence, he organises a campaign of terror against believers. First in Jerusalem, but then extending way up north to Damascus. So have a read with me from verse 1. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he might find any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Uh, Damascus is way up north. 
217 kilometres from Jerusalem. Saul's plan has been to destroy the seed of the gospel. But instead, it's out of control. It's spreading like weeds. Even though the disciples are spreading like weeds, Saul doesn't give up. He heads off to Damascus to get rid of the pests before he hopes they get have a chance to spread any further. But God has another plan. God's going to show Saul that he's blind. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So as Saul heads up to Damascus, thinking everything's under control, suddenly his whole world changes. A flashing light from heaven, brighter than the sun, this flashing light, it it makes you think of the, the lightning when God appeared on Mount Sinai or the vision of God Ezekiel saw, with the one we read at the start today. There are flashing lights, a voice from heaven. And Saul replies, who are you, Lord? He knows this is supernatural. You bet he's confused. I reckon he picks up pretty well straight away that this is a vision from God, most likely. Maybe at first he even hopes this was a message of encouragement, that that God's come to say, keep going, go kill those followers of Jesus. But the voice repeats itself, saying he is seeing Jesus. This heavenly vision is a vision of Jesus. And what's more, he's persecuting Jesus. Why do you persecute me? Now, Jesus says this twice, for our benefit as well as for Saul's. Why do you persecute me? So slow down. Let's let that sink in for a bit. Saul isn't doing anything to Jesus. He hasn't done anything to Jesus. There's no reason to think he was in Jerusalem when Christ was crucified. No, he's not attacking Jesus. He's attacking the way. He's persecuting disciples of Jesus. And this is a precious truth. Jesus is saying, when you attack his people... You attack him. And this is more than, say, a parent feeling the pain of their child who's going through a hard time. Jesus says, Saul is persecuting me. The Bible says the church is Christ's body and he is the head. There is a real connection, a real unity between Christ and his people. When you attack believers, you attack Christ. 
Christian, this is a precious truth for you and me. When you are suffering, when you're struggling, do you ever wonder where God is? Has Jesus abandoned you? Has he left you alone in the dark valley? Why do you persecute me? Where is Jesus in our suffering when his body is attacked? He's right here with us. He's never closer to his people than in our suffering. Because our suffering is his suffering. And we know this is true because of the cross. He suffered for us on the cross. And as the ascended Christ, he continues to suffer with his people. Where is Christ? He is with you. But back to Saul. Uh, While Saul is in darkness, another man hears God in a vision. And God sends him to enable Saul to finally see. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I don't blame Ananias for being a bit worried, but Jesus knows what he's doing. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Uh, When do you reckon Saul is converted? When did he go from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight? I don't know if that's the right question. Uh, For some reason, we want to find the moment, the exact moment when the new birth happens, the precise moment when God regenerates through the Spirit and someone moves from death to life, from unsaved to saved. And although from God's perspective there must be a moment, our experience is a bit messier than that, a bit more of a process than a moment most of the time. Is Paul converted on the Damascus Road? He he sees the Lord Jesus. Surely that's the moment. Uh, But if his spiritual eyes are opened on the road, why the three days of blindness? Maybe the conversion happens whilst he's blind. He must have been thinking, reflecting, praying. 
maybe he began to acknowledge Jesus then. Because when Ananias comes, he calls him brother, part of the family of God. Uh, Maybe the conversion doesn't completely happen until the scales fall off. His physical sight corresponds with his spiritual sight. The exact moment doesn't really matter. What matters is he is converted. He once was blind, but now he sees. And this is significant for us as well. Maybe you know the exact moment, the exact moment you started trusting in Jesus, but maybe you're not exactly sure. Uh, Especially if you were raised in a Christian home, always part of a church, uh, and you can't really remember a time when you didn't know and love Jesus. Or even if you weren't raised in a Christian home, uh, maybe you had some Christian friends and they invited you to come along to a few Christian things, a church or a Bible study. And then after a few months or a few years, you know that you're now a believer and you, you know you weren't always, but the exact moment that happened, it's, it's not so clear. What matters is God has opened your eyes. And you now see Jesus for who he really is. But the exact moment, God knows. Another question for us to reflect on, why does God get Ananias involved? I mean, Jesus showed up on the Damascus Road. Why why send Ananias? It's because God works through means. God works through people. We might wish God did Damascus Road things all the time. How amazing would it be to see the ascended and glorified Jesus and for that to be the beginning of your Christian walk? Wouldn't that be amazing? But even for Saul, yes, Jesus shows up, But like always, God uses means. He uses people. He uses Ananias. He uses Ananias to speak a word of welcome to Saul. If Saul had found Ananias first, he would have dragged him away. But Ananias comes to the house and calls a persecutor brother. And Saul experiences love and welcome. And I'm sure Ananias also spoke about how Jesus gives him hope and joy and why he believes him to be the Christ. Yes, Jesus shows up to Saul in a dramatic way. But the thing God actually uses to bring Saul to faith is a normal, slightly anxious, Worried believer. Just as he does today. One last thing before we see how Saul is changed. I've been saying Saul was converted and I'm using that word deliberately. Some people wonder whether the so-called Abrahamic faiths are essentially the same. Uh, The question is often put, do Jews, Christians and Muslims all pray to the same God? It's a well-motivated question. 
It's trying to deal with all sorts of tensions and conflict in the world. It's also observing that there are similarities between these three religions. But I reckon you may well know the answer. Uh, Christians, Jews and Muslims do not pray to the same God. If you reject Jesus, it's not the same God. And that may sit fairly well for you to hear. That may cause you some anxiety to hear that. But I reckon even with people, even Christians, who who understand that idea, yes, they are different religions, therefore it's a different God. But I sometimes hear Christians say things like, my neighbour, she isn't a Christian, but at least she believes in God. Or my auntie, she doesn't love Jesus, but at least she prays. As Saul headed to Damascus, he did more than just believe in some kind of God. He did more than pray. He was a full-on, devoted, Pharisaic Jew. He prayed and prayed. But until he met Jesus, until he repented and was baptised, he was blind. Saul was not worshipping the true God in a false way. It wasn't that he worshipped the true God, but just missed the Jesus bit. No, he was blind. By rejecting Jesus, he was worshipping a false God. And he needed to be converted. He needed to know Jesus. And it's the same today. Vague feelings about a God, ticking the box on the census, is not saving faith. We need God to open our eyes to see Jesus. And once that happens, once God opens his eyes, everything changes. Through Ananias, Jesus told Saul he would proclaim his name and he'd suffer for his name's sake. More literally, verse 15 says Saul will bear or carry the name of Jesus. It won't just be his words, but his whole life will display Jesus. And straight away, that's what happens. And there's a pattern. Saul starts telling people about Jesus. They're shocked. Isn't he the one who wanted to arrest believers? And after they get over the shock, there's opposition and threats to Saul's life. And so he flees, but keeps carrying the name of Jesus. First, this happens in Damascus. Verse 19 again. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled, sorry, more and more powerful, and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Haven't the tables turned? The same pattern happens in Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us this, but if you read Galatians 1, uh, there's actually a period of three years between verse 19 and verse 26. It's just a few sentences, but it's actually three years. Saul launches his first missionary journey straight away, which is what Jesus said through Ananias. Saul was going to be used to carry the name of Jesus to Gentiles, to kings, and to the people of Israel. And he's going to suffer for Jesus' name, and that's what Jesus, sorry, what Jesus says happens. It does it straight away. And as a result, the gospel grows. Verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I assume the time of peace wasn't total. We just read there was isolated persecution in various towns. I take it as meaning there wasn't an organised campaign of violence. Nothing like what Saul has tried to do. Because God had done what you'd think was impossible. Opening the eyes of the blind. Uh, this event of Saul's conversion, the Damascus Road moment, it's, it's, a, it's a great event, it's a well-known event. It's such a good event, it's retold in great details two more times in Acts. Why do we get told this story in such detail? Why are we told it over and over again? Partly it's for a historical question. We know that Saul or Paul ends up as a significant leader of the way. And so we want to know his backstory. How did a persecutor become a preacher? It also answers some doctrinal, some theological questions for us. Is monotheism, is believing in a God or one God, is that pleasing to God? And we see in Saul, no, unless you acknowledge Jesus, you're blind. And in this, Saul is a picture of all those who believe. Everyone whom God has saved, God opens blind eyes. And also like Saul, believers bear the name of Christ in everything we do. This event, Saul's conversion, God opening his eyes, it raises the bar for all of us. Yes, we're probably not going to carry Jesus' name before kings or in distant lands. But Christian, in everything you do, you bear the name of Jesus. In everything you do. Uh, The Damascus Road is important for history. It's important for us and our own stories in Christ We might see bits of our story in Paul's story, in Saul's story. 
But most of all, the reason we get to see God save Saul in high definition detail is because God wants us to look at this moment and be amazed. We're to be amazed by the power and patience of God. The power and patience of God. Many years later, Saul wrote about what had happened to him and what it shows us about God. This is from 1 Timothy. It'll be up on the screen. This is what Saul wrote many years later. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Saul, am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Why did God open Saul's eyes? Why do we get to read it in such detail? When Jesus showed up, when Jesus revealed himself to Saul, the the risen and reigning Lord Jesus, by rights, he should have struck Saul dead. Saul is the enemy of the risen king. Saul was attacking Jesus by persecuting his body. Saul deserves to fall down dead. But instead, on the Damascus Road, we see the power and patience of God. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. God is powerful. He can save the worst of sinners. God is patient. He even will save the worst of sinners and welcome him or her into eternal life. Why does God tell us this story, this event? To give us courage and hope as we bear the name of Christ before our family, friends, people at work, If they're even half as hostile as Saul, maybe God will be patient with them. Only God can and will open the eyes of the blind. And maybe that's what God's doing today for you. You're here today because God is opening your eyes that you might see Jesus. Let's pray that he does. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because in Jesus and by your spirit, you open the eyes of the blind. Thank you for opening our eyes, whether it was through a dramatic event or through a gradual process. Thank you for opening our eyes to see the truth of Jesus. We pray for those we know who remain unable to see. In your grace, open their eyes. And please use us like you used Ananias. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.